family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. I love education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Well, that was a pretty awesome sports weekend, Jesse. Oh, oh my goodness. Pretty, pretty good. I would say it's got you dancing, but you dance every show. Yeah, that's right. Jays and Yankees, yep. the World Juniors. Yeah, uh, the stretch run in MLS, yes. the return of soccer uh, across the pond. Yeah, as well. we just saw, man, uh, man, Andy you big. and That's Liverpool, big, big yeah. win for me. Uh, WNBA playoffs, Little League World Series are the same age as my son, watching that one real close. Yeah, yeah you are watching real yeah. close. A uh, week two in the NFL preseason, week 11 in the CFL, big story out of that. Smackdown in Montreal, yeah. Raw in Toronto, and a knockout for the ages at UFC 278. Were you watching that live? I, I wasn't. Was watching yeah. live yeah I just saw the immediate reaction on Twitter everybody thought it was over it was, it was unbelievable over. it was, it was over. unbelievable yeah yeah if that goes to the score 90 more seconds done that's the beauty of mixed martial arts or the fall of mixed martial arts the beauty because now you're gonna have a rematch again but someone completely dominated a fight maybe among the best ever loses because of one strike and I, that i yeah well you're I, a boxing fan it's the same thing like it's, it's not the same thing the, mixed martial arts you look through the annals of the greatest mixed martial artists and they all lost mm -hmm. like going undefeated is near unheard of mm -hmm. and yet you have i mean listen there's only a few of them there's only the rocky marciano like no one goes undefeated in boxing because they usually hang on too long but in the prime of their career in the ufc you lose because yeah. you you don't you haven't perfected all of the arts and then you've got the striker's chance. But that was unbelievable. That was jaw dropping. It was it was unbelievable. And Usman even said afterwards, like I, I got caught, like I made a mistake, and that yeah. happened. So yeah. he sort of acknowledged that that's the beauty of of the UFC. And both uh, both fighters pretty likable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. Like didn't that add into? Anyways, all right, we'll break it all down. Or as <laughs> we much can as go we two hours on that. Yeah, yeah. Much as we can possibly get to help us, Sam Cosentino on the World Juniors, Arden Zwelling on the Jays, and Ariel Hawani on the shock and awe of UFC 278. And I think we can hit Ariel with the uh, WWE yeah. back in our home and native land. Final hour too sweet to be sour. This is Tim and Friends for Monday, August 22nd, 2022, live from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto. And it all starts with Ruby, Biggie, and first things first. So let's chop it up, Cooper Cup. Love it. First things first. Where else can we start other than the Bronx in New York? Because the Blue Jays took three of four from the Yankees over the weekend. The Jays won the first three games by a combined score of 18 to four, but they did miss a chance to complete the sweep and pull within six games of the Yankees in the AL East with a 4-2 loss as things got a little bit heated. Yeah, we did. bit, we bit at Yankee Enjoyed Stadium that. Sunday. So did I, it was a good series, but was yesterday in your mind a bit of a letdown to me? I get it, a four game sweep and six back sounds a lot better, but going in, you tell Toronto Blue Jays fans that they're going to get three out of four in the Bronx and every one of them would take it in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I say the Jays, after scoring nine runs uh, over the first five games of their homestand, would score 26 runs in their next five and a bunch of people would take it in a flash. And to do it, for the most part, without George Springer is pretty damn good. I mean, we can talk about why George Springer is not in the lineup, but just hold for a second. Breathe it in, three of four in the Bronx, 
scoring as many runs as they did, including the last game against Baltimore. And I would say that the weekend is a success, and all those people that had us hitting the panic button a week ago are now pretty damn happy with where the Jays are. Oh, without, without question. It's so funny because when, when Manoa lost a few series ago, mm-hmm. and it seemed like that was their best opportunity to sort of pull out of the rut that they were in. And I know Jays fans were very concerned about what was to come over the next few games because obviously this was on the horizon in New York. And then you go in and you win the three games where Manoa's not pitching, who's been your yeah. ace all year, and you lose the game with Manoa on the bump. So yeah, I think that's why it felt like a letdown, though. Yeah. Like what you're describing and having Manoa going in on the Sunday, yeah. it felt like you could win that. But it, once again, the Jays obviously need to add a right-handed bat to the lineup because they can't hit lefties. <laughs> yeah, their <laughs> offense is pretty good. It's what? okay. We can take a step back. No, but what's going on? Nestor Cortez. Yeah. yeah. The, like their, their record against lefties is worse than their record against lefties. Make a whole lot it makes of sense. no sense whatsoever. Um, so hopefully the day off, because this is going to be the last day off for a little while, mm-hmm. will rest some bumps and bruises. Teoscar Hernandez, the foot, and of course George Springer. Has I read this a couple of different places. Has the balance of power in the American League East changed, shifted? That's a phenomenal question. I, I still think the Yankees are the I guess the class would be maybe a bit of an overstatement, but they're still the class of the division considering where they stand in this current moment. They should still win the division. But you have at least planted that seed of doubt, and there is a lot of doubt in New York right now. You've seen Aaron Boone. He was slapping the table during a press conference after the loss on Saturday. <laughs> they're a bit confounded as to what's happening, but they're getting, they're getting people back. Stanton's going to be back in the lineup this week. They're getting a little bit healthier. You saw Benintendi with a big swing that he hadn't had really in his time with the Yankees since he was acquired. So they, they still have the talent where they should be able to right the ship here. Because what they've done since June has been nothing short of, of unbelievable, really. They have been horrendous. And it's shocking how but bad they've been. Yeah, the, the only reason it's so horrendous is because they were so good. To, like, imagine Aaron Boone obviously felt the heat, yeah. right? Like, he was starting to feel the wouldn't, heat. Wouldn't and, he? And, and you, but hold on. Stanton in rehab, yeah. coming back soon. Severino throwing live batting practice. Clay Holmes yeah. started a throwing regiment. Zach Britton had a bullpen session. In, like, they're getting healthy. Stanton, I don't know if you know this, but Stanton is a pretty big part of their offense mm-hmm. and a little bit of protection for what looked like maybe at different points this year a shoe-in MVP and Aaron Judge. Like, Aaron Boone's under pressure because they're still not on – MLB record pace. Yeah. Ponder that for a second. I I get I get the complete two different sides of the coin from where you started to where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, they were on maybe the greatest pace out. They were on Seattle Mariners pace. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> they got near record pace. And now you guys are feeling the heat because you're not on Seattle. Like you're still eight games. Someone even suggested that Aaron Boone might get fired, mm-hmm. leading the division by eight, or I guess it was seven games after Saturday. D- does it feel to you that it's because they're, I know we just went through the guys that are going to be back in the lineup soon, but it, it just feels like there was no light at the end of the tunnel for the Yankees. Like That's why when you're in the midst of a rut this bad, it's been two plus months now. Yeah, but that's, I, I think you got the reaction from Aaron Boone that you got because he knew that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And the, the reporters were trying to say it was the offense that they were asking about. And he's saying, listen, here, like, just look down the road. Like, we're going to be okay. Yeah. 
We're go- we have an eight-game lead, seven-game lead at that point. Now an eight-game lead. But the, the, I thought that the Garrett Cole reaction to the Alec Manoa inside pitch and then the hit of Aaron Judge was directly correlated with him punching the dugout the game before and Aaron Boone slapping the old table. Like Frustration's boiling over. No, and, and listen, I love Alec Manoa. <laughs> I love that he has big, huge, you know. That's what makes him great. And he is great. I, I thought what Garrett Cole was doing was saying, let's go, boys. Like, no matter, he never got past the Audi sign, and we'll hear Manoa's clip in a second. But he, he wasn't going anywhere. He didn't want that smoke. He was just trying to fire his team up because they've been caca of late. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's trying to be the leader of the team, in which, which is funny because a leader, the, the stopper, which he's supposed to be in the pitching rotation, was not that a day prior. But then I guess he's trying to exert his influence in a different way by trying to rally the team when he didn't win when he was on the mound. Like, what else can he do? He's not going to go out and fight. He's just trying to get the boys going. He's trying to show, I'm Garrett Cole. I'm making X amount of money. And I, I am the one that's saying enough is enough. He's just trying to be a leader. Yeah. That's like it. how many times in hockey do you see a guy go start a fight who shouldn't start a fight because he's trying to get the guys going? Yeah. And <laughs> Did the, they listen? Are they the, going to listen to him? The only problem is, is that Alec Manoa called him on it. And here's what Manoa <laughs> said. I made a pitch and uh, obviously hit judge. And obviously uh, I looked at him and I said, man, you know, I'm not trying to do that. And I think he understood that. And. Um, I think if Garrett wants to do something, he can walk past the Audi side next time. <laughs> <laughs> like, Audi has to sign him now. Yeah, do they not? Right. Yes. Like, I know they've got major sponsorship dollars tied up in the New York Yankees, but that now has to become a part of the lexis- a lexicon of fighting. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, you want me? Come, o- come past the Audi sign, son. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And it's, he's just, there's something about Manoa where he just is, he's 24 years old, and he just is, has this moxie, that's well beyond a 24-year-old. He's 6'6", 260, Jesse. Well, he's, I mean, Judge was the guy on, at the plate. Judge is... Yeah, he apologized too. to Judge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he did. He walked over and said, yeah. Here's the guy. yeah. Do you, and listen, like, I, I know there's a lot of people in Toronto or Toronto fans saying, Garrett Cole, get out of here, you punk. Or, like, what the hell's all... Like, let's be honest here. Alec Manoa pitches inside. He led the AL in batter's hit last year. Mm-hmm. He leads the AL in batter's hit this year. He throws inside. That's what he does. And every once in a while, in old school baseball, where you throw inside, the other team responds in kind. And listen, I want Alec Manoa to pitch like that, but when you pitch like that, sometimes-ish like this happens, and it's not the first time that it's happened to Alec Manoa. It won't be the last time, and it's perfect because he's 6'6", 260. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you could see, Judge, what you could read his lips. He said, come on, bro, like, that's twice that yeah. happened because it did happen earlier in the game, too. Yeah. And it's funny. I've watched the clip so many times, and it's been viewed on our socials over a million times. That just tells you how, how much people enjoyed the quote. Mm. But <laughs> are you at all concerned that he said he hasn't, had a sinker for five to six starts now. Like yeah, everyone just brushed over that. No, it's, again, like, it's again what makes him great. Right. Doesn't have his, he didn't have his best stuff yesterday. He hasn't tell. had his best stuff, and no. he's got a 266 ERA. Yeah. And he's 12 and six, and he's among the top five pitchers in the American League, and he hasn't had his best stuff in starts. Numerous. Like this is, 
like if I were to ever talk to kids about what it is that you have to do to stay on your game, it is that you won't be on your game all the time, so how else are you effective? And in baseball, as a pitcher, there aren't a lot of ways to be effective, mm -hmm. yet Alec Manoa is finding ways without his best-ish to be effective. And that is the sign of someone who's really, really good. And guess what? This kid is really, really good, and I hope he never stops pitching inside, yeah. and I hope when they challenge him, he asks people to come across the Audi sign all the time. <laughs> Audi gang. Audi gang. Uh, the Blue Jays and Yankees have one more series, September 26th to the 28th. That's part of the Blue Jays' final homestand, and the Jays off today. They do play the Red Sox Tuesday, and the upcoming schedule softens up a little bit yeah. here which I think is important now considering that you've crept a little bit closer towards the division. It's not a foregone conclusion that the Yankees will win, but still it's going to be a lot to overcome. We go to the CFL next. The BC Lions improved to 8-1 and with a 28-10 win over the Riders on Friday, but they lost Nathan Work to injury late in the game. Work was diagnosed with a Liz Frank sprain in his right foot that requires surgery, but the team is hopeful he can return late in the year. It's a crushing blow for the Lions. What does it mean? for the rest of their campaign. This goes beyond the Lions season. I'm going to tell you why here. This is the best story in the CFL in a league that is struggling for good stories. This was by far and away the best story. It was already helping the Lions rebuild on the field, and it was also helping the Lions, one of the CFL's most important markets, rebuild off the field, um, rebuild in the stands. And you wonder where that goes now without Nathan Orr. It must be noted... UBC's Michael O'Connor, another Canadian kid who started at Penn State before returning home and winning a Vanier Cup in his freshman year at UBC. Um, he'll get a shot here, but I feel so much for the kid because it felt like he was going to get a shot at an NFL dream, and I'm betting that he still does. Like, the numbers that you just saw a mm -hmm. couple seconds ago would strike me as enough with the 80% completion rate or near there. Like to he, get him a look in the NFL. He was on pace to, to break records. Yeah, that's like he came on the show and he talked about resiliency mm -hmm. and about the love of the game, and that's going to be tested again. I got a feeling that when he comes back and he proves that he's healthy again, those numbers that we just saw will get him that shot. But you're right. Put it in perspective. Entering Friday's game, he was on pace for more than 6,500 yards, which would have put him second best in CFL history. I know that's on pace. I'm not a big proponent of on pace, but I'm trying to give you perspective on what he was doing. He was, he was damn close and stayed on that pace to getting to Doug Flutie's record of 66-19 for the most passing yards in a single season in the CFL. Like, that's the kind of pace that he was on, which is ridiculous and so good. So, I think, do you remember when we, we talked to him about yeah. playing Juco? Great, great in, interview. Yeah, in yeah. Kansas, and the love of the game was mm. tested and he had to kind of battle through. That all comes to fruition again. Like, that's, it's just, it's such a tough loss for the CFL, yeah. too. It feels like every single week when we discuss the CFL and we have Dink and Dunk, we have Justin Dunk in here, he's always the top story. And week, in, them, week, yeah. in, week in, week out. Yep. You're, you just marvel at what Nathan Rourke has been able to accomplish in this season, the fact that he's Canadian. And, and you look at the odds there, you just wonder what it does to, to BC. Like it's going to put a different kind of pressure on their defense moving forward. The Blue Bombers, they have that undefeated run, but it's just... It's crushing for them. It's crushing for the league. It's just a, it was a great story that has gone by the wayside now for a little while. For now.
for now. Yeah, for now. Yeah, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. No, don't, do not get too ahead. I'm just. Ahead. A, a, I wouldn't I'm bet against this it. kid. Yeah. I wouldn't bet against from having talked to him on this show and seeing kind of the the depth of character and and the strength of character. I would not bet against him, though it is painful for the kid, for the team, and for the league. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, okay, we are just over a month away from the start of NBA training camps, and Kevin Durant. He's still a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Today, the athletic Shams Terrania wrote that the Grizzlies are the latest team to make an offer for KD, while the Raptors remain one of the most serious contenders to land Durant, along with the Celtics and Heat. Toronto is still refusing to include Scotty Barnes in any offer. And no reportedly. team reportedly. And no team has been able to satisfy the Nets' demands. Are we any closer? The KD being moved reportedly is important because Masai usually moves in silence. I don't think we're any closer to KD being moved. And from the sounds of this report, it was just a reminder that there are a couple teams that remain the favorites, and that's only because they can actually make a deal for Kevin Durant. And he added the Memphis Grizzlies in there, and I get mm -hmm. it. Listen. People want to know what's happening to one of the best players in the NBA, and Sham Strania is an NBA writer, so he's got to write about it. But there isn't much here. It's just that the Grizzlies have enough pieces to answer what Brooklyn wants at this time. But if you're expecting to be a good team now, how, this has been my beef from the start. How do you make that deal? They say they want an all-star, mm -hmm. another high-level player, and then picks of prospects. You can't. You can't. You, if you're a team that is looking to win now, which you have to be to pick up Kevin Durant because he's no spring chicken, how do you do that? Like maybe Bam Adebayo in Miami is how you can do that. But they can't bring him onto the team because mm -hmm. they've got Ben Simmons and you can't have two of those same deals. Same thing with Donovan Mitchell. You can't make that deal. So outside of Scotty Barnes or the Grizzlies getting rid of like John ja Morant? <laughs> like, seriously. How do you pull this deal off? And and it, it doesn't make a ton of sense right now. And I like I get why Shams is writing this, but how do they make this deal? I don't see it. It's a fabulous question. And the picks that you mentioned, they're probably asking for seven first round picks and seven different swaps. Like that's how ridiculous it's become now with the asks in the National Basketball Association. Even if it's so say it's Miami. Yep. It's, uh, they can't even make the band. Maybe it's down the road when they're able to make the Bam out of bio G. Mm -hmm. So you trade Bam out of bio, you put Kevin Durant in that lineup, and then you have to give him one other piece. Like, who's the other piece? And then are they good enough to win? And that's what every other team's got to figure out. And then you got to mortgage a little bit of your future with swaps and picks, plural. Get out of here. It's just not happening. People clearly assuming that KD is going to go back to Brooklyn now. You saw the odds there, minus 715. Uh, at the beginning of this saga, it was plus 800 for KD to go bet. back to Brooklyn. You and I talked about this yeah. being like right off the bat. This is a really tough deal to make. It's, a really tough deal to make. Yeah. I mean, no Scotty Barnes. It feels like no deal. Is there any part of you that thinks Joe Sy, who Kevin Durant, we know the, the latest major update was that he said, it's either me or GM Sean Marks and head coach Steve Nash. Is there any part of you that says Joe Sy should maybe side with Kevin Durant here, who is a, still a generational player, and make the necessary changes that KD's asking for? Here's the problem, and here was the problem, and eventually it was forgiven in Toronto when Vince 
did what he did in Toronto, which mm -hmm. was demand a deal, put the team in a tough spot. And what happens is when ownership chooses a player, knowing that the player only has how many more years does Kevin Durant have left? Four. Four years left? Yeah. What happens when he's gone? And you've told, as an owner, the rest of the league, owners, coaches, how do you get the prime guys if you took the player over coach and GM? Like, if it was one, I think Joe Sy would say, love, peace, and hair grease. Mm -hmm. But KD wants both of them out. Up and the whole KD wanted Kyrie there. Kate, like, everything's been KD, and eventually someone's got to push back. Otherwise, when push comes to shove and you're fighting for whoever, the Nick Nurse or the Masai Ujiri of the world, he goes, sorry, so when your star player says you want to get rid of blank, I'm the guy? Nah, we ain't going to play that game. And Joe Sai knows that. He, 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 eventually, there has to be some pushback. And I know that this is a player-driven league, but they moved heaven and earth to get Kevin Durant. They can't move heaven and earth again yeah. or they're left with nothing because they've moved heaven and now they're going to move earth. Yeah, it feels like Brooklyn is sort of fighting the battle for player empowerment to put an end to it when it's been a war for over a decade. Like yeah. teams have been fighting this, and now they're like, maybe this is the last stand where yeah. we're going to be the ones who dictate this. Yeah, I, I doubt that it'll last beyond, but this situation is like whatever. Like it, There's a lot of people saying, get out of here, KD. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, okay, Canada. Not literally, stay, KD. <laughs> yeah, that's here. right. Uh, Canada captured World Junior Gold on Saturday oh night in front goodness. of just over 13,000 in Edmonton, the biggest crowd of the tournament. Kent Johnson came up with another golden goal for Canada early in the overtime frame after Canada blew a 2-0 third period lead against Finland. It is Canada's second gold in three years of the World Juniors and 19th overall. This was a completely different World Juniors for a bunch of different yeah. reasons. How do you encapsulate an entire tournament in a two-minute conversation? <laughs> Go for it. It's all you. Uh, such is the joy and frustration of this show, Jesse. <laughs> um, we get to try and talk about a lot of the things for viewers mm -hmm. and sometimes that sacrifices the deeper conversations but on the ice on the ice I can wrap it like this Mason McTavish had an absolutely legendary offensive display in this tournament he was one point off the record for Canadian points scored in a single world juniors like just think of the dudes to suit up for Canada. Not the dudes that have the record or the dudes that he tied, Gretzky and Lindros. It's ridiculous the people that he is ahead of mm -hmm. on that list, like Sidney Crosby or Jonathan T or anyone else who has ever put on a Canada jersey. And yet, yet, his greatest and most important play was a defensive play. To knock that puck out of midair in an overtime is a once-in-a-lifetime type play. Like, blown 2-0 lead in the third. The Finns are flying. The luck of the bounce to get to that spot for the Finns. If this had been a Mighty Ducks movie, you might have thought it was a little too unbelievable. <laughs> the star offensive yeah. player, just when it seemed like it was slipping away with a defensive play to save the day, go the other way, golden goal. It was almost truly, not hyperbole, truly unbelievable. And a great lesson to all those kids out there. You can put up ridiculous numbers, but never forget this is a 200-foot game. Always, this is a 200-foot game. And Mason McTavish, brilliant offensively, did it with his defense. Yeah, I mean, I just, 
I can't help but thinking what was probably going through his mind because he, he went behind the net there and he blew a tire. And then he gets up and it's like, uh-oh, I'm the captain of this team. I've been the best player in the tournament by a country mile. And here I am. I'm going to be the one that cost my team the gold medal. And then by, it's, a, it's like a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle that he made that play. And then to go the other way and, and score on a gorgeous, like a gorgeous goal yeah. too. Like it's not that, that both plays were unbelievable. I'm a big fan of uh, in men's league hockey when I get beat playing defense of just like attempting to help out the goalie by right. swiping behind if a guy's going to deke him and trying what he did. Like I do it all the time, probably <laughs> rather stupidly because I got hit a couple. It's because you're a soccer goalie. You have the yeah, instincts. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, and uh, he just that, that's what it was was instincts that yeah. kicked in and said like I need to do anything that I can to try and stop this. And what he did was like literally like. Could you not see him move like a Mighty Ducks movie where yeah. the star offensive player has the coach talk to him repeatedly about defense? And in the final game, after blowing the 2-0 lead, he makes that. I'm not saying that Mason McStavish wasn't good defensively in this. In this, I'm just saying it seems like a movie script, what happened there, and then to go the other way and score it. More exciting for than Finland. the triple deke, for sure. That was. Yeah, and the, the triple deke was good. The but. flying V is a bunch of... Illegal. Well, it's illegal if the... If the back guys have the puck, you can't do it. It's offside. Well, they, they, they did tackle that in yeah. the movie. Yeah. They drop it after they get it. A lot of flaws run. in that movie. A lot but, of flaws. Yeah. Yeah. We should go through that one time. But it's a great film for kids. Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Watch it on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Audi, Disney+, Plus. there we go. All sorts of different sponsorships <laughs> coming in. Uh, but a Canada Gold. Uh, well, I mean, Sammy Cosentino is going to join us in a flash. We'll go through like what it meant to the top guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the draft eligible guys, and maybe even why this was such a failure at the gate, because yeah. the thirteen thousand was the most at any a gold game. Medal game, and usually in Alberta, that's like a layup, yeah. sell out every Canadian game. Did they charge too much? Was it just the timing? Is it all Canada hockey's gone through again? Sammy Tazantino coming up as is Ariel Hawani on a UFC classic. Love Arden's dwelling on the Jays' big weekend in the Bronx. And the plays of the week coming up in the third block of the show along with some NFL talk. But as I mentioned, Sam Cosentino next with his takeaways from the World Juniors. This is Tim and Friends Monday. No, no, Monday! Let's go. Aaron got hit. And we've been dusted several times. A little one too many for my taste. I don't know what to say. If Garrett wants to do something, he can walk past the Audi side next time. championship is going to overtime. It could not be closer. It could not be closer.
Somebody check on Gord Miller today. Dear God, that was unbelievable. Wonderful finish to an interesting tournament for a couple of different reasons. Canada's dominance tested in the gold medal game against the Finns. And thanks to Mason McTavish and Ken Johnson, Canada perfect and golden. Kind of like my next guest, Sportsnet NHL analyst and draft guru, Sammy Cosentino. Welcome back, Coach Cos. What's going on? Nice to be back. It's uh, it's good. It's uh, everything is good here. Coach Cause getting a little baseball action in. <laughs> nice. Big tournament winners on the weekend. But oh, uh, look at this! Look at this! All good. All good. And uh, yeah, keeping an eye on on things there. What a what a cool ending to that event, man. That was that was truly truly unbelievable. And it's one of those kind of benchmark things. You think about the Everly goal, and you think about some of the things yeah. that have happened in the past. You know, world-class performances, McDavid and Crosby, and and all these different things, and it's going to go down as you know probably a top three uh, to a top five moment all time in the tournament. Um, and pretty cool, the story of the guy Mason McTavish who who essentially got it done. I just uh, I just love how he's progressed here the last three years. What an amazing story. And, and I said earlier in the in the opening segment, like to be one point away from matching the record for points in a single world juniors and have your biggest play be a defensive play like that's a tournament that's that what a cool thing to have happen to you but i think and i'm so happy that that's the moment he's going to be remembered for because this is a guy who's really worked hard to round out his game like if i go back to 16 years old peter bro is playing for rob wilson over there mike oak the general manager and they knew they had something good scored 29 goals and they're like okay this guy's a goal scorer and i think the conversation ended there and as the pandemic hit you wondered how it was going to hurt him in his draft minus one year but because his dad dale played professionally in switzerland he was able to go over there and play and that was yeah. such a big turning point in his progression because he realized that hey i'm pretty good i can play against men i can play with some physicality against men brought that home Helped Canada win the gold at the under-18s when everyone's talking about Shane Wright and Bedard. It was Mason McTavish who was the glue there. Mm -hmm. Then he gets traded from Peterborough and Hamilton, wins an OHL title, and says to Anaheim, hey, man, I want to go and do this. I know there's a lot of other guys who are injured, tired, um, want to get prepared for the NHL season. They're not showing up. But I want to go and do this. And I think you can't underestimate what winning means to the development of a player. And for him to have that as his key moment when he's thought of as an offensive player is really a cool thing for Mason Metapish. Yeah, I, I just love it. You love that in the growth, and obviously a C on your chest for Team Canada means something as well. Uh, a lot of hype around Connor Bedard for good reason. What did you make of his tournament? Yeah, I thought he was great, especially early on. I think the thing I've noticed in this game is that first step quickness has improved immensely, but you know, looking at his face when he's doing interviews and that sort of thing is kind of a funny thing for me because when he signed with Regina at 15 I was you know one of the first on the scene to, to interview him and he looked like a little boy and now he's starting to progress into being a young man and I think with a lot of the adversity that he's had to face here that he's just put all that aside and he continues to do um, really neat and amazing things for a guy his age so you pick up a you know point per game plus you still pick your four goals getting tons of shots his ability to curl and drag and shoot around defenseman or through defenseman leg is, is really amazing, as if the guy needs any help because he can do it pretty much clean with that great release that he has. Yeah, the release is ridiculous. Like, it is world-class uh, release. All right, so did anyone jump up the draft board in this since we're talking about kids that uh, will be eligible? 
It's pretty funny you say that. So there's one young man by the name of Dalibor Dvorsky. He's a he's a Slovakian player, and we've seen a lot of that uh, over the last year, especially yeah. with two going in the first round last year and one and two picks. So he's a guy, and it's funny. I had this conversation with a scout this morning, an Eastern Conference scout, and I said, well, I just went for a couple of days. This tournament didn't really present a lot of draft eligibles, yeah. especially in the high end. We'll see that a lot more when we get to Halifax. But we did see it previous to this in Red Deer at the Helenka Gretzky. So you got to see right. all the high-end guys yeah. from Sweden and Finland and so on. This tournament didn't have a lot of it. You had Bedard and you had Dalibor Dvorsky, who I'd say right now is probably a top 15 to 20 pick. Um, so it's still two high-end guys, but pretty much void of, of the rest of the high-end for what we're going to see for the 2023 class. And it's awesome, Tim. It's really, really good. Nice. Yeah, I was watching a little bit of that Helenka with a few coaches and uh, someone pointing a few guys out here and there. Uh, I got to get more into that. It's so much fun. It's just I don't have enough brain yeah. capacity for it, to be honest with you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, I know people were talking about Canada's dominance here, and I think it was 4-0 in the, in the group stage and 27-4, 7 against. Um, never mind, no, Russia. But that... 2005 South Dakota team. That's still the best, right? Like when people, I know people in the moment they want to say, well, how dominant was this team? And look what they did. No one really came close to them. But it's still 2005. It's still Crosby. It's still Tate. That's the best Canadian team ever, right? I think it has to be. And I think because those players have gone on to have, you know, world class National Hockey League careers, Hall of Fame careers, best in class for their time frame for some of them. But if you just take it in a vacuum and you look at the world junior tournament in and of itself, not thinking about what the players are going to go on to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a one A and a one B situation. The dominance mm. of this team was pretty, pretty special. You know, having said that you're also taking a little bit away because of no Russia. Yeah. Uh, you're taking a little bit of away because of where we are in terms of the timing of the tournament. So those are our mitigating factors for sure. But by a pure number standpoint, it's not far off from what that 05 group did. All right, let's talk about some of those mitigating circumstances. World Juniors in Alberta, Sammy, that's supposed to be a layup. Like, that's supposed to be sellout every game, at least when Canada's playing. Just timing, or is there more to the attendance struggles in Edmonton? Well, timing for sure. I mean, people plan vacations. They're not expected to be in a cold drink in the, in the middle of August, especially in a place like Edmonton where the summers are a little bit shorter but we can't hide the fact that the scandal from hockey canada has had a significant impact on this as well and you have a lot of parents out there who uh, are asked to pay a lot of money and all of a sudden when some of that money is being accounted for for reasons other than the development of grassroots hockey people have issue with that and i don't blame them for having those issues you know if you're a young player and you've paid your registration fees wherever it is across uh, you know, across the country, and you see those monies yeah. going towards settling some of these lawsuits. Um, listen, I'd have a real problem with it too, and uh, I don't think there's any question that that has played a, a key factor in all of this. Having said that, though, Tim, I, I like to look at this group of coaches and this group of players to be held to that of what happened in 2018 and 2003. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily fair to that group of players. So in, in, a, in a vacuum, to look at that group, I'm pretty happy for those guys because I've watched a lot of them grow up here the last couple of years. And to have their moment when, you know, it might have been taken away there in January, to have that moment is pretty cool for those guys. Yeah, yeah. well, very well said. And, and a reminder, like I, I say, 
Hockey Canada, obviously under the microscope, and for good bleeping reason. Yeah. But every national sport organization in this country, if your cupboards aren't clean, you better damn well clean them or yeah. get them clean in the next little while because this isn't going to happen anymore. People aren't going to put up with it anymore. Uh, last one for you, and, and kind of staying in line with the idea people shouldn't have to pay for the transgressions of others. Uh, it's tough. But the Women's World starts on Thursday, and Canada's got another impressive lineup, and uh, it'll just be fun to watch, especially as Canada opens against Finland in the first game of that that uh, that World Championships. It'll be a blast to watch, and I think moving forward, we might see a little bit of a shift here from what's happening in terms of money's directed towards the women's program, and that's I believe that to be a good thing. Awesome. Sammy, great catching up with you. Congratulations on the tournament win for the boys. Is that, uh, is that U10 baseball are we talking here? Yeah, U10, nice. uh, the Oakville Little League guys, uh, Whitecaps, they got it down on the weekend. So nice. really cool stuff. Really, nice. really proud to be a part. Uh, all right, Sammy, great catching up with you. We'll talk hockey soon and maybe a little bit baseball sometimes. All right, sounds good. Right. Thanks, Tim. Good to see you. There is Coach Cause here on Tim and Friends. A very interesting part of like how all of this will break down for Hockey Canada. And obviously we've had our say on how ridiculous some of the things are that have gone on mm -hmm. with Hockey Canada. Mm -hmm. But if you need to fix it, hopefully this will put them in the position. Like sometimes it's not what happens, it's how you react to it. And what's already happened has happened. They need to react to this and make things right moving forward. And hopefully this will force the hand because Lord knows they've been making money hand over fist for years, taking money from the government. Like there's a lot of things wrong with this organization yeah. and maybe this can start getting things on the right foot and also holding our boys especially a little bit more accountable for their actions. Yeah, it's just a, a, an interesting story when you think like what will it take? What does fix it mean? Like what what's going to satisfy the country because... The reality is it's the country that's outraged by what took place. So what, what can you do? And then, right. I don't think anybody has the answer to that. It's just we'll figure it out in time. Be good. Yeah. Be, yeah. be good. <laughs> do the right. Be a good human being yeah. and then strive to get better. Yeah. Like that's it's a good start. That should yeah. be the baseline <laughs> for start. everything moving forward. Yeah. And we all know what that is. Like yeah. the, that's the great biggest crock of bleep in all of this is we all know what that means. And people try and spin it and do it this way. And, we all know what that means. There's a baseline there. Oh, without a doubt. All right, time for a break. When we come back, it is the Monday tradition, the plays of the week, and the best and worst the past seven days in the world of sports. We will do that next. Lighten the mood. Well, unless you're that kid. Next, right here on Tim and Friends. And that's what happens when your MVP gets hit. <laughs> we had an interesting conversation yeah. during the commercial break yeah. about whether or not Garrett Cole really wanted to fight or just wanted to fire up his guys. Like, yeah. I still think that he knew he wasn't going to fight. He was just out there to try, and no one went with him. No. There, there, there's some weird going on in New York. Like, when it, when it rains, it pours, and it's pouring Well, right that, that's playing in New York. Yeah. Right? Like, think of what Joey Gallo was saying on the way out. Yeah. Think of Aaron Hicks right now. It's, it's actually sad. Like, he's just getting boo he won at bat in yeah. baseball, yeah. and they're booing you. I, I That's a would tough be, place to exist. I'd man. ask for a trade. 
I'm too, I couldn't. I couldn't hack that. You couldn't hack that. No, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> you be able to deal with it? I, I don't know. I was just talking about. Uh, <laughs> As for trade. I was talking about mental toughness <laughs> and flow state. Yeah. And how like people are built differently, and yeah. some people need to relax to be to be good, and some people just need mental toughness, and some people are suited for the mental toughness part. Uh, if you go to New York, you better be mental toughness. Flow state ain't gonna happen. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how do you relax in that? I don't know, because he Aaron Hicks knew if he got out in his first at bat, he was gonna boot. So you're walking up there with the expectation that I'm going to get yeah. I'm, like continually until I get better, which doesn't look like it's gonna happen anytime uh, soon. So. I don't know how that happens. Sad. There. Um, very sad. Okay, uh, Sam's interview uh, obviously had a lot of good things to say. Mm -hmm. Moses stuff. Um, Someone wrote in here and said, uh, with regards to the poor attendance, it was also the ticket prices yes. for the World Junior Hockey Championship in Edmonton. These org organizers had to know it would be a hard sell and the prices were ridiculous. They never budged. Shameful, uh, really. Why wouldn't they just go, once you, and we were talking about this earlier in the tournament, it was like 150 bucks for a cheap ticket, the cheapest ticket against Switzerland, which was ridiculous. Wouldn't you just throw them on the secondary market once you realize you're not even, like, that's what every team, I know they're not supposed to, but that's what every team does. Yeah. Throw them on the secondary market for 35 bucks, 50 bucks. Like, you'd sell those. It was ridiculous. It's just an eyesore, like, too. Like, it just look, makes the tournament look bad. Just get rid of them. Give them away for free. If you I want. just, I wonder if we've gone to the well too many times in Canada. You think so? No, I think more of it has to do with the. Man, we've milked August. that cow. Yeah. Nice. Uh, do you, it says on my. It says on my What's up, Sebby? You like the million? It says on my, uh, my Apple Watch that I need to stand up. Yeah. All right, let's do it. There it is. I need to stand up. Oh, hold on. They're, mil friends, they're milking the Calaget and uh, Halifax Moncton. Oh, yeah. Uh, going right back to Halifax Moncton. What we'll again? And we'll see. What those noises? We'll see. I'm not making the noises yeah, okay. again. I know what you want. <laughs> We're not making the noises again. Let's slide right into the plays of the week instead. Whatever you think of these plays, I promise they won't be as bad as Jake Paul swinging a baseball bat. What is bat. this? What is this? It's almost man card type stuff, right? Like, unless you're European or have never played baseball before yeah. in your life, yeah. like, this is man card type stuff. He's a better boxer than a baseball player. Who would have thought that? Maybe, maybe maybe he's a defensive player like Hassan Kim. Are you kidding me? Oh, vintage Oswaldo Cabrera. Who, yes. <laughs> Who needs Manny Machado when you got Hassan Kim? Who hit their face harder against the I Dasher in baseball? One, yeah. <laughs> How about this? In the driving rain, Victor Reyes. And that's not easy to do. Distracting. Very impressive. Ooh, almost came out too. Speaking of the curse of Joey Gallo, alive and well. How about this in Los Angeles? The guy is a two-time gold glover. <laughs> he's having the time of his life. Oh eh? yeah, he got out of New York. He's in LA. Oh man, living la Soaking vida loca. The sunshine, love it. Uh, Mets Phillies bases loaded. JT Realmuto, Jeff McNeil, mm. real deal. Mets are good, eh? Mets are having a year. <laughs> Just it, it doesn't sit well in my belly when you say the Mets are good, but yeah. it's true. The Mets are good. This is good. How about Adrian Sampson? Ooh. Beautiful flip on the move. That's why you play pepper, even though they say no pepper. Mm. And we finish baseball with Gabriel Moreno sending one into the wall. Into the wall. <laughs> it's not a sentence you thought you'd have to utter. <laughs> into the wall. Yeah, hey, you played Marco Polo, Jesse. How about the new and improved version, which I guess we call Duck Hunt? <laughs> That's what they're... No. Find the duck. Oh, I love Look it. Oh, no! And a collision <laughs> in midfield. Duck's still loose. We'll check oh, on the duck yeah. a little bit later on. 
Richmond Hill, Tyler Pendriff straight out of Bayview Secondary and straight into the cup. Oh, very nice. One hopper. BMW. We're getting close to the end here. Two championship next week. Uh, speaking of high school, how about this? High school football in Georgia. Loganville High School quadruple overtime. Connor O'Neill, watch the pass here. Drops back over the shoulder. <laughs> Why? Because it was quadruple overtime. That was the last play in the playbook. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nathan Rourke, poor little out for our oh, homie, God, Brian Burnham. One-handed catch. Yeah, he, he made everyone look good, did Nathan Rourke. Let's check back in on Duck Hunt. And it's getting physical in the midfield, Jesse. And we're getting close. And oh, no. And now a shove. Get out my way. <laughs> Duck's still loose. That's something that we could try in here. We could play that game. How about this? This is no, It's not frozen. This is Yardell Silva pausing over the ball before unleashing. His I'm gonna need to look kick. at that again. I'm gonna need to punch him in the face if what I'm the keeper. That? I'm gonna be honest. That was a video you. game. Cut or uncut, punching a guy in the face if he does that to you. No, that's uncut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every right. Right, but we're not. Uh, we're not suggesting. Yeah. No, we're not condoning, condoning violence, violence yeah. in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Mason McTavish, ridiculous. We talked about a bunch in the show. And after the loss to the Jays, Aaron Boone and the Yankees reeling. Boone's not happy, slams the table, but the internet always wins. Jesse, the internet always wins. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. Our next segment, Arden Wellings. Joining us here, we'll talk bluebirds every year. It's up to you, Tim and friends. For real sports talk with Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here, hour number two. Tim and friends, full hour everywhere with the Jays off today. Still to come, Ariel Hawani on a wildly entertaining UFC ending. David Amber one on one with Alex Newhook and his Stanley Cup celebration in Newfoundland and Arden's Welling in moments to talk all things Toronto Blue Jays. But let's get you caught up to date on what is happening right now, especially in that AL wildcard race. Listen, Michael Kopech warming up, dealing with knee soreness. Training staff out there on the field, they decide while Tony LaRusa, being Tony LaRusa, says, hey, why not just start the game? We'll see how you're doing. Walk the first batter. All right, drills Bobby Witt Jr. Two batters later, Kopech walks Vinny Pasquantino. That loads the bases. Kopech done after four batters, doesn't get an out, leaves the bases loaded. Good job, Tony LaRussa. Michael Kopech loves it. And the Royals, they take advantage. Michael Matz just misses the grand salami. Royals scored four in the first because of Tony LaRussa. However, his team tied it at four until Joe Kelly drills Massey in the leg. Next pitch. Kelly drills Michael Taylor in the shoulder. Dangerous. That puts two on. Three batters later, as Kelly taps his bases loaded block. Royals beat the White Sox 
6-4. Four of those runs in the first inning when you started a pitcher who clearly wasn't ready to pitch. Here are your updated AL wildcards. Can you tell I really like Tony LaRusso? Yeah, no, it's, it's been a week for you and Tony LaRusso. Uh, Jays, Rays, and Mariners now in a three-way tie, holding down the three playoff spots. The Twins, two and a half back as they host the Rangers tonight. The Orioles are off today. They sit two and a half back. And the White Sox, because of that loss, are now four back. So we've got still six teams separated by four games. They should be so much better, the White Sox. Oh, without a doubt. Coming up immediately following us, we've got our eye on that wild card. Angels and Rays coming your way. The Rays trying to pull ahead of the idle Jays in the standings. We've also got the cards and the Albert Pujols. What the hell is he doing? Remember we brought him up on Friday? Renaissance Sat man. Oh. Sportsnet now, Brewers and Dodgers, Sportsnet 1. Got it good and since you understood, Monday Night Raw live from Scotiabank Arena in Toronto on Sportsnet 360, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. In the immortal words of Billy Red Lions, don't you dare miss it. I didn't miss Man U and Liverpool. They don't like the Glazers in Manchester. I don't know if you know this. Ahead of Monday's match against Liverpool in protest of the Glazer family ownership of the club. Red Devils 0-2 to start the season. Casemiro though introduced United fans after signing a four-year deal. Is that enough? Are the sprinklers enough? Well, not in the lineup. Cristiano Ronaldo also not in the starting 11 for the second time this season. I'm sure he's taking this all very well. But guess what? 16th minute, Jaden Sancho, little patience in front, slots at home. They came out aggressive and looked good. Just his fourth goal in 32 Premier League matches. They wanted more from this young man when they got him from, I believe, Borussia Dortmund, 1-0 United. 41st minute, Liverpool corner. Bruno Fernandes almost puts it in his own net. Ball, Lissandro Martinez standing on the line, prevents the own goal. 53rd minute, United want more. Rashford, his last Premier League goal was against Liverpool here in May. He's done it again, and he has doubled Manchester United's lead. They win 2-1, transfer the panic, kids, from Old Trafford to Anfield, because Liverpool, tough start, have just two points through three games. As Manu wins it, 2-1 your final. All right, so Ten Hag gets his uh, first win as part of the premiership this year. Man U moves on. Our soccer analyst, Arden Zwelling, joins us. He has the, he has the, uh, the name to be a soccer analyst, but of course <laughs> we're, talk we're talking. Did I scare you there for a second, Zwelling? No, I, I was just thinking about how everyone thought these Yankees fans were crazy in New York, right? Booing Garrett Cole and uh, booing Hal Steinberg. I didn't see them marching en masse at the no. stadium with no. freaking smoke grenades and flares and whatever the hell else was going one on. One day, there, so one day, we got to that crazy. We got to peel back the onion that is going on in Manchester right now with the Glaciers because it is on. Yeah. New York is booing Aaron Hicks, and I think that's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's nowhere near this. No, Hal Steinbrenner got a couple boos during yeah. that Paul O'Neill yeah. ceremony. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have the literal, uh, I don't know, how many people are there? Thousands of people shutting down streets. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that in the Bronx. Is Paul O'Neill a perm or is that a natural curl on him? That's a question <laughs> I am not qualified to answer, my friend. All right, <laughs> how, about, no how about this one? 
I think he's getting some assistance from somewhere. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> All right. How about this one? What was the difference between the Jays in your mind during that homestand where everyone wanted us to hit the old panic button again? And we probably could have. And what we saw in the final game of that series against the Orioles and carrying it into the Bronx. It was magic. Just mojo, you know. Yeah, it's just the will to win. They yeah, wanted pixie it more. Dust. Yeah, wanted it more. They didn't I love want that one. Enough yeah. The week before, and now they, you know, they. Uh, they Sean Schneider went there. Stop celebrating. Boys. They stopped wearing coats. Uh, yeah, that was exactly it. no more bling. Uh, it was starting pitching, right? That's what it had to be. Uh, it's funny when you pitch well as with a, with a good rotation, all of a sudden things look a lot better. It doesn't matter if you only score four or five runs because you're not allowing that many so I know that we're watching Jordan Romano right here uh, right now but I really think it was the work the guys like Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa did there's Kevin Gosman and even Mitch White I mean he only went four innings but really he did his job right like he kept the Yankees neutralized and he didn't let things get out of hand and then handed things over to a bullpen that has low-key very quietly been spectacular for about four to six weeks now so to me it, it was starting pitching in the Bronx is the thing that really turned things around for the Blue Jays you know, it's kind of funny because you look at the start of the season and, and listen, it wasn't you or me. It was almost everyone across national media in the U.S. here in Canada was talking about the Jays' rotation and how good it could be. Now, listen, you say Kikuchi hasn't worked out, but if you still have the four that the Jays have going at a level that they've been going over the last little while, this is a team that can compete with most teams in Major League Baseball, No. Yeah, and the flux point there is really Jose Barrios. Like, yeah. Are the Blue Jays going to get the Barrios that they got in the Bronx, who was spectacular and who looked like the old guy again? Or are they going to get the Barrios who regresses after finally having a, a strong outing, as we've seen several times this year? It was interesting to see him doing different things with his hands, with his glove, with his setup. You can read into that what you will. It doesn't look super mechanical to me, so I wonder if that means that they thought he was tipping his pitches or he was giving something away to opposition hitters at times this year. I mean, that would be one explanation for why Barrios's stuff has been so consistent and has been the way that we've seen it throughout his career and yet has been getting lit up. That would make sense, you know, why they had the swing and miss hasn't been there, why the, the fastballs have looked so inviting to hitters, why he's been getting the takes on pitches off the plate he's been getting this year so I do wonder a bit about that if Blue Jays can get Jose Barrios right if they can get him consistent down the stretch all of a sudden it is Manoa Gosman Barrios and you are feeling really good in a playoff series I don't think the Blue Jays want to be having this discussion where they're considering wow it's like Ross stripling someone we're going to start over Jose Barrios in a playoff series yeah, it would be if they could have Ross Stripling as their fourth and Barrios, the guy halfway between his best and what he's been this year, I think they would take that in a flash. Uh, speaking of getting the best, I'm, I'm going to read some stats to you. We play a show, a, a game on this show called Superstat or Meaningless Number. I'm going to read you Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s stats in leverage here. Okay, so in 2021, with runners in scoring position, he was batting 315. 441, 625, and 105 at bat. So not the tiny, excuse me, 143 at bat. So not the tiniest sample size. This year in 105 at bats with runners in scoring position, 250, 364, 625. Is that a super stat or a meaningless number? Might be somewhere in between, right? Yeah. I, and I think about that plate appearance on Sunday against yeah. Lou Trevino. 
This right? is why I got the seventh there. Inning. Yeah, this is why yeah. I got there. Bases loaded. And look, three pitches off the plate. And Vlad did the right thing on the first pitch. He took it. And that's what Vlad should do. And he did his little Soto thing too, right? And that's when we know Vlad's feeling good. The next two pitches were also off the plate. And Vlad swung at them. And uh, the second one, he fouled off. And the third one, he bounced into a double play to short. Those are not pitches that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should be swinging at. Those are not pitches he's going to do damage on. I think that even if he's thinking this might be a borderline strike, this might be right at the bottom of the zone, it might get called a strike. I think in that 1-1 count, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should take that pitch because it's not a pitch he's going to drive. I know we've seen him take Garrett Cole fastballs like two feet in off the plate into the seats. I know we've seen crazy things from him, but he can't just rely on that preternatural ability he needs to be getting two pitches that he can drive in these big spots so even if he ends up in a one-two count i think you let that borderline pitch go by if it gets called a strike against you okay time to battle with your two strike approach and try to get a better pitch to hit and put it and play at a high rate of speed because vladimir grail jr is just not going to be at his best if he is expanding and chasing off the plates the discussion we had about him earlier in the year yeah. went away for a little bit it is starting to crop up again in really big spots. He is at his best when pitchers have to come to him. And the way that you make pitchers come to you is by having the eye. I mean, we yell that at our 12-year-olds, our 10-year-olds, our 13-year-olds. Have an eye out there. Particularly with the bases loaded when there's nowhere to put them, right? It's yeah. not like first base was open. And yeah, he knew that like Lou Trevino had to throw him a strike there. And he wasn't throwing him strikes. So, look, it's still a 23-year-old hitter. And we're still talking about literally the best hitter on the Blue Jays. I know it doesn't feel that way. But if you take whatever your stat is, Wade runs, created plus, OPS plus, they all say that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been the Blue Jays' best hitter this year. Um, I just think that in those moments, in those big spots when the game is on the line, he's holding open to play in a lot more of those down the stretch and into October there does need to be a bit more attention to detail all right uh, as you know from hosting at the letters there are viewers and listeners that you trust in their interactions and we get a lot of interactions on this show and I've had some viewers that I trust call George Springer glass and others that I trust say stop listening to the faceless folks on Twitter they aren't real what's your take on what's gone on with George Springer over the last little while Speechless and <laughs> or serious. Oh, there we go. We got we got we were frozen for a second. Bad uh, hotel Wi-Fi in Boston for Arden. We got you back. I think you got me back. I do. We're talking George Springer. Am I Kinda. good to go? Yeah, you're good to go. But you're in like a little bit of. I'm a, just gonna start talking about George Springer. Mr. And if it's on television, it's on television. <laughs> and if it's not, I'm just talking to myself in my hotel room. I don't know. Go Springer. I don't know which way it's going. <laughs> so, George Springer, it's been really mysterious. It's been really weird because you think about this knee issue that he's out with right now. I think it was on the first pitch on Thursday that, that he saw from Montes, from Frankie Montes, and he fouled it off of his knee. And on the next pitch, he turned around a ball at like 108 miles per hour. And then his next four plate appearances, he had base hits. Uh, and three of them weren't hit particularly hard. But one of them was so and, and there's the ball off of his knee right there. You can see it. Th that has to be it because he didn't foul any other balls off of his knees. So what he did after that was like square up two pitches, get lucky on three others, but had a five for five night, then wasn't in the lineup for three days and came off the bench with a, with another pitch hit spot later in the series. In George Springer's last seven at-bats, he has base hits. Like, it's incredible what yeah. the guy does, even when he's clearly compromised with an elbow, with a knee, with whatever else is going on. I think the Blue Jays right now, the focus is like, look, let's get this guy 
as healthy as possible towards the end of September and into October. That's when it really matters. That's when we're going to need him most. That's when no matter what part of him or which multiples parts of him are barking, he's going to have to be in the lineup and he's going to have to be playing. So I, I think that right now some of the rest and load management that you're seeing is just to get him to that point and to allow him to, you know, as much of a peak as he can as he can provide towards the end of the season is just to get him there. Because clearly from what we've seen throughout the season, really, even when George Springer's beat up, he's still an impact player. And he still makes a massive, massive impact on games, regardless of how hurt he is. Hopefully the guy on your floor has stopped downloading those massive files that is causing the internet interruption (laughs) (laughs) that's taking place right now. And I'll just ask you, Jesse and I both got our takes on the Manoa versus Garrett Cole with kind of sort of Aaron Judge in the middle of it all. And just listen, I thought Garrett Cole was trying to rally his troops in a spot where his troops felt like they were falling down the wayside. Like, I just thought it was a chance for a leader to try and be a leader, and he wanted nowhere past that Audi sign, to be honest with you. But what, what, was, your, what was your take from being there? Yeah, I wouldn't have crossed that Audi sign. <laughs> no, I would have been like, yeah. well, I would have been in the dugout. I would have been in the clubhouse, just yeah. like, oh, I just had to pee at that exact moment. <laughs> it was so weird uh, that I wasn't around. But yeah, I think Gary Cole just didn't have his best outing the day before, and the Yankees were scuffling and hadn't won in a while, and then they were just looking for a spark. And everybody in that dugout was pissed off, and he was trying to kind of fire up his club and and I thought what Alex said was hilarious and fine. It's going to be interesting to see if there's any bleed over later on in in the year between these two teams, but really like Alec Manoa and, uh, and uh, Aaron judge settled it between um, enormous behemoth mountain like (laughs) men, (laughs) which is like kind of what happens when you're both six, eight, two eighty, whatever those guys are. It's like, are we really going to punch each other right now? (laughs) Like it's like when you see like the buildup to a heavyweight fight, in the UFC, ask Ariel Hawani about this. Like, you yeah. don't typically see that much trash talk and that much, uh, like, kind of ruckus at the press conferences. Because they're both like, look, we're both enormous. We both have one-shot power. It's heavyweight fighting. Like, we understand what could happen here, right? Yeah. Like, we understand that, yeah. you know, this is like, really not wise to be fighting the street at our size. So I don't think the judge or Manoa really wanted to, like, go toe-to-toe with each other just yeah. because it would have been really painful for both of them. Um, and, and, like, I do think that those two enormous men really just kind of settled it between themselves, and that's all that was really in it. <laughs> yeah. It felt like it was Andre the Giant and Hulkster squaring off, and here comes Bobby the Brain Heaton out of the dugout. It's like, wait a second. I think those two can handle each other if they want to do this, Garrett. I would just sit it out. But I, I get it. Rallying your troops. You haven't seen much life in that dugout. Just get them going. They're all pissed off. They need a a win or something, and in the end, that's exactly what they got. Uh, a win for us. Arden Zwelling able to battle through some dude downloading big files that we won't say what they were. Yeah, I don't even want to know what, <laughs> what server those came from or what they look I, I, I might hear them soon, which is unfortunate. That's my cue to, to go for a walk. Yeah, Arden Zwelling, appreciate you. Enjoy the series in Boston. Take it easy. See you. Arden Zwelling. Uh, in a hotel in Boston. Time for a break and good timing on this break. We'll s- take a look at the closer. Uh, I'll take a closer look. Excuse me. Rattled now. The week that was in the NFL. Preseason number two. Hey, Timmy's top five coming up. Plus, the Stanley Cup is in Newfoundland with Alex Newhook. David Amber was also there and had a ca- chance to catch up with Newhook. Oh, look at this. Right down. Oh, that's awesome. A little party in George Street.
Week number two, the NFL preseason concludes tonight with a little Monday night football. Storyline tonight won't be, should be, who's going to be worse, the Falcons or the Jets. We know it's hard to take in an entire preseason week, so we have distilled what you need to know from the weekend that was in another edition of Timmy's Top 5. Timmy's Top 5 from the NFL this week. Well, we finally found out when Tom Brady is returning to camp. It's today. We also found out he was almost a Raider. And we found out on America's newest talk show, The Gronks, with guest Dana White. I worked to put that deal together for Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders. And at the last minute, Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want it. So Gruden took Carr over Brady. I guess we now know who that mother Brady Tommy boy was talking about on the shop. They were interested, and all of a sudden, they weren't interested at the very end. I was sitting there thinking, you're sticking with that mother <laughs> Are you serious? Last week, we suggested Kenny Pickett might be gaining ground in Pittsburgh. Well, it looks like Kenny went Brittany. That's right. Oops, he did it again. All back and throw this. Snell, and he's reaching for the end zone. He's got the touchdown. How do you ensure you make a team when you're an undrafted 5'7", 158-pound receiver? Well, just ask Cavante Turpin. The former USFL MVP was played indoor, outdoor, and in Poland. Poland, since leaving TCU, just made the Cowboys. Pretty sure. Can anybody track them down? No, they can't. Cavante Turpin, can he do it again? Two return touchdowns. Turpin has proven himself and then some. Looking for a tight end sleeper? It's likely Isaiah is no longer slept on. That's right. The Ravens' fourth round pick, Isaiah Likely. Eight catches on eight targets for 100 yards and a touchdown in the first half against Arizona. Caught for the touchdown. Likely again. Impressive. And finally, the NFL has a problem with cut blocks. If this is legal, why is it dirty AF? Warren Sharp started the conversation, and the former pros can't agree on it. Emmanuel Acho, former linebacker, says that's straight cowardly. Damian Woody, former O-lineman, says it's perfectly legal. Tim McAuliffe, former 180-pound slot back, asked to block defensive ends and linebackers, says completely necessary. Change the rule or live with it. It was hotly contested, Jesse Rubinoff. Yeah. I don't know if you uh, if you have a uh, take? a take on and listen. Part of it is who was hurt, and that's the first round pick of the New York Giants who was hurt on the play. Uh, cowardly, legal, both. What do you got on this? I think the rule needs to be changed, and the reason I say that is because you're getting exposed as a league with guys that you don't want to get hurt will get hurt as a result of plays like this. Now I understand from an offensive perspective, but, and it's on, some would say that the onus is on the defensive player to protect himself, but that seems like a bit of a stretch when you have a job to do to try and make a tackle or, or run somewhere well, that, to make the tackle. I, I do think, listen, I just want to add this because there are football players out there watching who will be screaming at the TV the first thing that you're taught as a defensive player is how to shed blocks. Yeah. And how, but the like, I used to do this. I will com- be completely honest, and I, I would do it all the time and act like I was going to take your head off, and then I would go to oh. oh. And that's exactly what he did. How do you right? defend against that? Like, how how, do you, how can you avoid with, that? With your hands, you push down. Yeah. 
But it, it's, it's, I mean, these are pros. I Make it illegal. Yeah. But everyone knows that you need to cut on certain plays if you want to get passes to the outside. Justin Dunk was in here. Remember we were talking mm-hmm. about cut blocks and how mm-hmm. Elliot Friedman was mad at me when I was coaching high school because I was teaching my undersized team how to cut block on short passing plays? Like, that's what you have to do. You can't, like, if you've got an overmatched team, then sometimes, but this is the pros, and that's different. So maybe that's out there. I just, like, if it's legal, guys are going to do it. Yeah. Here's what he says, right? He said he looks like he's going up top, yeah, and then he goes down. That's exactly what he's saying right there. I I totally get how physical of a sport football is, and that's what makes it so great. If you love football, part of the reason you love it is because of the physicality. But I do think there is some sort of onus on the league to protect players because – from just well, a they, financial well, they, perspective, like you, you get, want your best players on the field. Get out of here. They protect players, offensive players. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they protect <laughs> offensive players yeah, all do. over. Do they protect defensive players? Eh, not as much. And although they, they, the crackback blocks they have mm-hmm. cracked down on, and that stopped. So this might be the one last one where you have the argument over whether or not you want it to be part of the game. Yeah. But if it's part of the game and you're a smaller guy taking on, like, like they would ask Wes Welker to go block a defensive end or a linebacker. How do you do that without going low? How do, how do you do yeah. that if you're – and not crack back? Like, it was one or the other. Like, Heinz Ward. I don't know if you the remember. King. The, the king. The king yeah. of absolutely De- destroying <laughs> people. Yeah. ends and linebackers not seeing it coming. So they took that out. Yeah. And so now if you're a 190, 100, you know, 80 pounds and they're asking you to – take on 280 pound ends or 235 pound backers how do you do that it's a pickle it's a pickle yeah it's a pickle all right uh from football and Timmy's top five to a top one for Alex Newhook the Stanley Cup continued its championship tour with Newhook in Newfoundland that's right Newhook just a third player from the province and the first from St. John's to win the cup a huge celebration in Newfoundland and Labrador's capital today for the Cup, including a rally and a parade along the city's downtown core where thousands turned out in attendance. The Cup also made its way to provincial legislature and the famous Newfoundland lab, uh, landmark, Cabot Tower and Signal Hill. Also included a helicopter ride. Look at this! And what? some time at Newhook's elementary school and childhood hockey. Full day for the Cup in Newhook, the 21-year-old living his childhood dream as a Stanley Cup champion, and David Amber was there with him. Alex, what an atmosphere here. It feels like a national holiday, everyone taking the day off work and everything else. What does it mean to you to bring this type of celebration to a hockey-mad province like Newfoundland? It means everything to me. Yeah, I mean, Newfoundland and Labrador is such an underrated you know, hockey province. We love hockey here. You know, it's... To have this energy here, I didn't expect to see so many people out, but it's been unbelievable. When you think about your journey, you're only 21 years of age, but you went out to Ontario, BC, NCAA. I mean, you've been around the block to get to this point to live out your childhood dream. Who do you think of on a day like this? Yeah, I mean, you just go back to all the guys you've met along the way, coaches, teammates, um, you know, the guys that have really got me here. A lot of guys are here to celebrate with me today. A lot of guys flew in. Um, think about your family, you know, obviously, and they've been around the whole time. Um, my grandmother, my grandfather, they're here today. Um, all the people that are closest to me, it's so nice to share with them. What makes hockey special in this city and in this province? 
I just think it's you know it's it's what everyone cares about. Um, you know, from everyone that goes away as well. Um, you know, and, and talking to all these guys, as soon as you leave, it's, it doesn't matter where you're from in Newfoundland, Labrador. If you leave, everyone's just cheering for you and rooting for you. And it's felt like that since I left, and I really felt it today. It's, it's been insane. Finally, 20 years from now, what do you think you're going to remember most about this experience? I mean, I, I think I'll never forget um, waking up in the morning, putting it on the dining room table. That's going to be a pretty cool one. But um, walking up here on the George Street stage today, um, I remember seeing people walking down the hallway, and you know, it seemed like a lot of people. I was like, there's no way the stage is packed. I walk up, and the whole place is jammed. Um, so just that, you know, that speaks to the, the volume, the support that you know, comes from Newfoundland Labrador towards me and um, towards everyone that you know, goes away, plays hockey here. It was, it's been great. What a homecoming for you. Congratulations, Alex. St. John's, Newfoundland, very proud of you today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So awesome. Not very, many things can do that, eh? Very, very cool. What would you do? Where would you, is there somewhere special where you would take the cup if you had it for a day? Yeah, probably be my grade school. You? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I asked the question without having an answer myself. I have no idea. I feel like I would have to Pops experience house. the journey. I would have to experience the journey first before I get to the end of the journey before making that call. Yeah, I feel like... Uh... I don't know, it was always like high school or elementary school for me yeah. uh, would be. And I love, you know what the best part of that was? Everyone who goes away. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you mentioned, you heard Newhook say that, but it's because it's always home. Totally. Newfoundland and Labrador is always home, and they got to go away a lot yeah. for work, for hockey, but they always go home, and I love that. All right, it was a night to remember Saturday in the UFC. Leon Edwards with an absolutely stunning knockout of the champ. Tomorrow, who's mad? We'll discuss it with Ariel Hawani. Plus, he, he, he almost saw another fight. He was at Yankee Stadium right. over the weekend. We'll ask him what he would think of Judge versus Manoa next. Unbelievable, and here to help us kind of break down, put it into perspective, uh, tell us where this ranks is one of the best in the business, an old friend, a dude that just hosted, I don't know, like a five-hour show of the MMA Hour, which is kind of an oxymoron, but whatever. He's a star of the At The Letters podcast. It is Ariel Hawani who rejoins us here yeah. on Tim and Friends. What's going on, Ariel? How are you, bud? It's so great to be here. Uh, if I'm being honest, I thought you forgot about me because it's like the first time in three years that you've had me on the program. No. But I guess when seismic things happen in MMA, oh, we call little old Ariel to come <laughs> back and join us. Me, God's honest truth. And I know you work way too hard to even notice this, but the last time you were on, you said the exact same thing. And it was less than three years ago. And you, get, mean, you, you, you gave me the I don't have a beat. lot of good material. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Jewish boy. I like to pour on the Jewish guilt. That's my thing. So you've called me out now, and I feel embarrassed. I know. I, I, I love having you on, but I do go to the source. 
on ish like this when ish like this happens like I heard uh, Daniel Cormier say that this was the greatest headshot that he has seen like where does this rank on all-time knockouts and maybe even the way it kind of led into it well that's that's part of the story and it's it's up there and it's very emotional for me because you have to fully appreciate Leon Edwards and his story to fully appreciate what he did. And I'll give you like the, the super quick Coles notes version of it all, or cliff notes, as they say here in America, <laughs> shout out to Coles. Um, Leon Edwards is a kid who grew up in Jamaica. His dad was involved in gangs. His dad was involved in drugs. They moved to Birmingham, England to, to get a better life. When he was 13, his dad was murdered. His mom was 15 when she had him. He didn't even know he has a brother, who, by the way, is a great MMA fighter in his own right named Fabian. Until he was six years old, he met his brother. And they grew up on the streets, and they were hanging around with the wrong people. And one day, they're walking by a gym. He's 17. His mom says, I want you to go there so that you stay off the streets. And so he's been at that same gym. He He's about to turn 31, by the way, this week. He's been there for 14 years, and he's not uh, a bashful – he's not a, a braggadocious guy. He's not um, you know, a loud mouth. He's not the kind of guy who's going to puff his chest out. He's not you know, a character like some of the other guys in our sport who are very successful. He's quiet. He's you know, a, a hard hat, lunch pail kind of guy. He's a working man kind of guy. He's a trenches kind of guy. And over the past couple of years, he has been screwed left, right, and center by circumstance and the UFC, if I'm being honest. He had been unbeaten in 10 fights, and it still wasn't a guarantee that he would get this title shot and no one was giving him a chance and so to see leon edwards finally get this title shot in utah of all places he didn't even know what utah was when he was offered this fight in utah to see him with 56 seconds remaining pull off this incredible head kick when he was losing the fight and was 56 seconds away from losing the fight because he was down four rounds so one it's it's one of the greatest moments and one of the most emotional things that i've ever seen couldn't happen to a better guy a more deserving guy and uh, you know kamaru who we're looking at here is an incredible champion he deserves another crack but on saturday it was leon's day and it's a moment we'll be talking about forever so is is that the beauty is that the fault of mma like i I feel like the fault. Yeah. It's the beauty. Listen, if the Raptors are down 20 points to the Knicks in November, uh, you can't shoot a 20 point shot to get back in there with a minute to go. Right. right. If you're down 21 points in an NFL game, you can't throw a 21 point touchdown. But in this sport, he was the equivalent of down 20 points. <laughs> that, that, but that's what and I'm saying, right? Like was, Usman completely dominates. And what he's got for it is on the wrong end of one of the greatest knockouts we've ever seen. It's, you know, he was 56 seconds away from parading around that cage and talking about Canelo and talking about moving up to 205. But that octagon, that canvas is the great equalizer. And it's a 25-minute fight for a reason. You you gotta fight it all out, and I'm not trying to say that he, nope. uh, you know, he 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 didn't respect Leon or he didn't give him, you know, the proper, you know, it was it was a great fight. He did great. There's nothing you could say about Usman. However, I will give credit to Leon's corner and his coaching staff. There's footage out there on the internet, and you guys are showing some great clips of them talking about that specific sequence that he's gonna dip, he's gonna dip, and then we're yeah. gonna hit him with that left kick. And so that was not lucky, by the way. I see some people saying that was luck. That was not lucky. Leon prepared for that moment. He was ready for the moment. And when the time was right, he nailed him. Um, the reactions that we, and listen, I get Joe Rogan reacts like that to every knockout. But the rest of the reactions, uh, is that like just, just as a fan? And, and this is the beauty of talking to you because not only are you an analyst, not only are you a host, but you're a fan. And you, and you don't shy away from your fandom. Like 
those reactions just on a fan level are those like the greatest reactions? like that's what makes the hairs whatever's left in the back of my neck stand up is the reaction that you can shock people like that not only like the reaction of the people his reaction he's a very quiet guy he's a very humble guy to see him crying as he's speaking to his mother on on facetime backstage is just I, i actually just spoke to him earlier today on the show and he started crying again. And we've never seen this out of Leon before. And so to see this, and you know what's so great, Tim, about this is that the knock on Leon in the past mm-hmm. was that no one cared about him, that he was too quiet, he was too boring. He was just like some kind of generic guy from England. Even three years ago when he fought in England, he was booed by his hometown crowd. Like they booed him because yeah. the fight in their minds was boring. And for him to elicit this kind of reaction, this guy in particular, I do a post show every Saturday night on Spotify Live. Shout out to them. We had people calling up. It was 7 a.m. in the UK calling us crying from all over the UK, from Birmingham, from London, yeah. crying because of what Leon Edwards did in that cage. So to see that guy, of all people, elicit this kind of emotion, it's uh, it's just a beautiful thing that I'll never forget. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of, and I'm more of a boxing guy, but it kind of reminded me of Lennox Lewis and his reputation, where it's like he gets the job yeah. done and people want more all the time. People want more. And then when he delivered it, he delivered it. All right, so I, I want to talk to you, and we don't have a ton of time here, and there's a bunch of things. Uh, WWE, back in your hometown, Montreal now in Toronto tonight what is your favorite WWE moment and it like we're I I just as you pick up the Expos hat I just think Montreal screwdriver but what like where where are you WWE in your hometown funny you say that Tim yes I was in attendance November 1997, it was Jason Tackman, my good friend and I, sitting in the Molson Center when our beloved Bret Hart was screwed by the brass. I was there. I happened to be there. It was an unbelievable moment. My guy Bret Hart got screwed. I was also there the Monday after WrestleMania 18 at the now Bell Center when Hulk Hogan came back and he got that massive ovation after the match against The Rock. So if I had to pick two, and by the way, Montreal, pound for pound, best crowd in the history of pro wrestling. No doubt about it in my mind. Uh... I would have to pick those two moments as the most memorable. I like that. And also, uh, if you're talking about boxing crowds in Canada, you go no further than Montreal. Oh, tremendous. Without a doubt. All right, so last one. And I know you were on the At The Letters podcast. So for those following along at home, Spotify Live, catch Ariel Hawani. Just follow him at Ariel Hawani on Twitter. Also, MMA Hour, wherever you get your fine podcasts, or you can see it live. Um, At The Letters podcast with Ben and Arden and you were at Yankee Stadium. Did you were you there on Sunday? I was not there on Sunday, but I have a funny connection to Sunday. If you're going to ask me about the Alec Manoa <laughs> yeah, like, uh, situation. Where, where's that heavyweight fight? Judge versus Manoa. Let me, <laughs> Let me tell you something. If Alec Manoa calls me up right now and says, come to Boston, I need some backup. I'm running to Boston. That is my guy <laughs> for life. I love that guy. I love him as an athlete. I love him as a person. How about this? Alec Manoa's agent, Jeff Randazzo, is a good friend of mine. On Thursday, he got his BP passes, and I took my kids to go meet Alec Manoa. And he's a massive MMA fan. You do not want to mess with Alec Manoa. (laughs) And I'm going to set up a training with Alec Manoa and Jorge Masvidal this offseason. And so a message to the New York Yankees, a message to Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge and all those fake, phony jabronis from the Bronx. Don't mess with Manoa, because if you mess with Manoa, you got to mess with Vladdy. And if you mess with Vladdy and the boys, you got to mess with Hiawani. And you don't want to mess with Hiawani. Trust me, I'll 10-7 all of yous.
<laughs> that was amazing. I was just going to shut up and let you cut the promo. So hold on. Masvidal, Manoa, like two Miami legends coming together. 305. 66260. I don't know if you, like, I know Judge is a big human being, but Manoa, Manoa seems Softy. to have a, have a little, uh, little swagger, shall we say. Listen, go. I, I posted a picture. The guy's a tank. Yeah, the, guy, I, I, the guy would have to cut weight to get to 265. You know, Judge is a show pony. I mean, he doesn't have he doesn't have this. He doesn't have the corazón. Alec Manoa is from the mean streets of Miami. All right, this guy has seen it all. He has done it all. There's my guy, Manoa. There, look at us cheesing there with that beautiful necklace and those sunglasses. There's my guy. I mean, the guy is a freaking linebacker. Okay, you want nothing, Garrett Cole? Yeah, you sounded really tough from the dugout, bud. I mean, what is this guy talking about? And Manoa, the mensch that he is, walked right up to Judge and apologized. He wasn't trying to start something with him. Come on, enough with the fake tough guy stuff. Listen. The Jays are coming. Got three out of four in the Bronx. We're going to Fenway now. I'm all in. You know, don't be don't be blinded by this. This is, you know, always in my heart. But I'm all in. And I don't want to hear anyone in, in Toronto jumping off that bandwagon just yet. We're about to make a run. Yes, I say we. It's going to be a great story. And come October, we will be celebrating another championship for Canada. Helwani cuts the promo twice. And Jesse, we've got two mensch references in the last two weeks right no, that here. That was absolute fire. On Tim and yeah. Friends. Yeah, that was fire. Uh, always appreciate you doing this. Always great catching up with you. And it seems like uh, we need another hour, but you've worked a five-hour show already. So I'll shut the bleep up and let you go. Always a pleasure. I look forward to my next appearance in three years. Thank you for having me, Tim. <laughs> there, there is Ariel Hawani here on Tim and Friends. All right, got the last break. Get you the last call. Jesse Rubinoff on Monday. Tim of the Cap and all coming up next here on Tim and Friends. When, when they're that good, you just lay out, Jesse. You don't, you don't get in the way. My goodness. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Our Monday tip of the cap goes to the Seattle Storm. Sue Bird, 41-year-old, retiring at the end of the season, broke her own record to become the oldest player in WNBA history to record a playoff double-double, 10 points, excuse me, 18 points, 10 dimes, as the Storm swept the Mystics in the first round of the WNBA playoffs. Bird, Kareem, Carl Malone, John Stockton, only other WNBA or NBA players to record a playoff double-double over the age of 40. Sue Bird still getting it done. The legendary our Monday to the cap. Time now for last call, and for that, I hand the reins over to my friend Ooh. and yours, Jesse Rubin. Re-energized after that Ariel Hawani segment. Oh, yeah, just cutting promos going after Aaron Judge, going after Garrett Cole, yeah. going after the New York Yankees. Love it. Confirmed a championship for the Blue Jays. Come on, Jays. That's good, too. Uh, okay, we talked about Albert Pujols on Friday, and he continued his tear over the weekend. The 42-year-old went four for four with two home runs on Saturday in the Cardinals' win over the Diamondbacks. Pujols is now up to 692 career home runs. Four back of Alex Rodriguez for fourth all time. But has the conversation now shifted from can he catch A-Rod to can he reach 700? 
My uh, my friend Bill from St. Louis uh, tipped me off on the Pujols run Bill of late. Bill from St. Louis. And, and on Friday, we did it. And then on Saturday, I got a text. Are you, are you seeing what's going on here? I mean, look at the numbers since the... I thought this was a cash grab, shake hands, kiss babies. Albert Pujols goes back to end his career in St. Louis. He has been on absolute fight. I don't, I don't think he gets to 700. I don't know if he can continue this run at the age of 52 or whatever the hell he is because I don't know if I believe what they say he is regardless. What he's doing right now is unbelievable, and I am here to see it. Because I don't even know how many people thought the cards were going to be where the cards are right now. You got Wainwright doing things. You got Pooh. Like, we're taking it back old school, and I am here for it. The question is, if he got to, like, 695 this year. Mm -hmm. Does he come back? He told Bob Nightingale, I am not coming back. This is the end of it. This is my final year. If you're, what if he's at 698? Such rarefied air. Yeah. Would you come back even though you told people you were done? Well, you come back, play like 30 games, get to 700 and then dip. Just say, see you later, guys. Hey, man, if he plays the way he's at right now, yeah. this might not be a question, but like, how do you stop? At, I mean, I guess a no one wanted a Rod back. He was no, dead. no. Everyone wants him to pass a Rod just because a Rod's a Rod. But like, how do you not come back? Say you got to six ninety nine. It's just unreal. Like even at the All Star game, the home run derby was like, oh, this is a cute story. Yeah. Like Albert Pujols is hitting home runs in the home run derby. He's moving on a couple rounds. Like this is cute. That, that may <laughs> no, have, look at him. That may have re-energized him. Yeah. Looking back Seems at it now. Way. Yeah. Like having. Kind of the Dominican passing of the torch. Yeah. It feels like uh, he's like, okay, hold on. I'm going to hold it for just a little bit longer. He is batting fifth tonight against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, okay. We are approaching the stretch run of the MLS season. The Whitecaps yeah. got a big point on the road Saturday as Julian Gressel scored in the 87th minute to salvage a draw against Real Salt Lake. Vancouver currently holds the final playoff spot in the West. Time. FC Montreal remains in second place in the East after a dominant 4-0 win over New England. Yeah. And Toronto FC's unbeaten streak was snapped at five games with a 2-1 loss in Miami. How much does that loss hurt TFC's playoff chances? We cut the gritty. He hit the gritty after scoring that 2-1 goal. Lasseter, I believe it was, who scored for FC Miami. Uh, red alert indeed. Listen, uh, I thought when I saw this group play together, especially with Richie Larea back on the team, that TFC was going to make a run here. Um, I still think, given the standings and how tight they are, they can, but that is an absolutely massive dropping of three points on the road in Miami, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you look at where Miami is in those standings. I think they can still pull it off, but it's they can't give away any more points. Um, and clearly said this last week I believe Montreal's the best team in Canada that's unbelievable they continue with a bunch of Canadians yeah. and a bunch of Canadian internationals I absolutely love the story that they are writing in Montreal right now now second on the east table good for them well done FC Montreal CF CF I apologize. Uh, staying with soccer. A wild scene out of Portugal this weekend after Porto Monense attacker 
Iago Corello Ribeiro scored to take a 2-1 lead over Vitoria. He picked up the quarter flag and pretended to shoot traveling Vitoria supporters. Shouldn't laugh. <laughs> God. I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't laugh at that. The celebration did not go over well with the fans or the opposing players, and Ribeiro was given a yellow card. Did he deserve it or did he deserve a red? I want to know the like he kept going like with everything. I want to know what the backstory. There has to be some like on its own. It is utterly ridiculous. Like I don't even know if like do you give a red card for this? You got a yellow. Yeah. I mean, going yes. a tad too far. Yeah. Yes. We said we don't condone violence. That seems like that's uh, sort of condoning violence. It's there. not violence. He's pantomime. He's got a corner flag. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Uh, He's got a corner flag. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's over the line. It's worth a yellow, but it's a corner flag. Let's be honest here. We're in a tough spot Remember, in society where we gotta like figure out oh, navigate no. like what's over the line, no. what's not over the line. Cut blocks okay. Our pantomiming with no. corner flags no, okay. No, society is so everyone's so afraid of doing like that's ridiculous, but it is a corner flag. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as long as nothing was planted in the corner flag or in the corner <laughs> yeah, flag. Yeah, a blow dart yeah. gun in the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, big baseball news this weekend. Former Blue Jays manager hey. John Gibbons announced that he had joined Twitter. Gibby drops some gems like, doesn't anybody sleep at night? I must be getting old. And can't soar with the eagles when you hoop with the I owls. I like that one. That one's real. <laughs> Today he tweeted, anybody seen the great Canadian band Triumph's documentary? They were big down here in Texas when I was in high school. Need to check it out. Have you seen the Triumph doc? No, I haven't. I have not seen the Triumph doc. Um, they are. Oh, I want to. Is is one of the lead singers? Is one of the? There's a band. There's a son of a band member. Is it Triumph? Yeah, yeah. Rick Emmett. Brandon. Yeah. Emmett, yeah. Brandon Emmett. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was trying Rick, to figure yeah. out here. Yeah. Yeah. Rick. Googling it. You just asked me. Yeah. What? Were you googling it? Yeah, I was googling me. quickly to see if it was the right group. Well, why wouldn't you bring that up in the? conversation that we have had about <laughs> Triumph. The, um, oh, that's too good. They, they were they were formed in 75. So I, I was born in 75. And now I'm going to quickly try and Google the big songs because I know that Rick Emmett sent me something the last time. Seems I, like we should I watch the doc on. and talk about it tomorrow in First Things First. Okay, let's do that. Because yeah? we're, we're down on time. And that's I wish I had we're a good the, time. I need, I need to do my Triumph homework before I comment on them, because the last time I did it, Brandon got, yeah, got yeah. mad at me, Rick got mad at me, and I don't want to piss them off, right? Yeah. That's it for us, coming up on Sportsnet Kids, <laughs> it's the Angels. I went from saying, I went from saying, basically, we can do anything we want yeah. on this show, oh, everyone's too <laughs> sensitive, not. to give me a second, yeah. I need to research Triumph. Love it. Back tomorrow. <laughs>